Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. What do the ER and dermatology have in common? There are maybe more than you think. I get to welcome my good friend, Dr. Tanasia Crocker. She is an ER veterinarian for Veterinary Emergency Group, VEG, and also a new practice owner of a general practice in North Texas. We have been friends for a few years and have really related to each other in a lot of our work-life balance, but also love just talking about the importance of, you know, what can we do for our clients in difficult situations? And I know for ER veterinarians, it can be very difficult when dermatology cases walk in their door. So what is the balance? How can we help them, but really still have the time and energy to manage the life-threatening cases that are also walking in the door at the same time? So as a dermatologist, I can't personally speak to that, but I get the privilege of interviewing Dr. Crocker and asking her experience, and she has been a general practitioner, practicing lots of dermatology in Texas, and then also now an ER veterinarian who juggles as much as she can. So please welcome Dr. Crocker onto the podcast. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Durham Vet Podcast. I'm so excited to have repeat offender Woo! on today. That's right. <laughs> you know, it must have done okay the first time when you get asked to do it a second time. Um, yes. But it's my uh, lovely, wonderful friend, Dr. Tanasia Crocker. So Dr. Crocker, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. I was very excited to come back. We can always talk more about Durham and I just like talking to you. So yeah. it's going to be fun. Yeah. What they know is we have to limit our pre-talk or else we end up yes. being like on for an hour. Um, but it's actually a bit different now because you have taken on, since you've been on the podcast, you've taken on a different role, which we're you know going to kind of talk about more in depth today. And that is the shift you had from general. And I know you're still doing some ER work when you were in general practice, but now you are exclusively doing ER work as far as your clinical work. So I love this topic and I've done this topic with other uh, criticalists and ER doctors in the past, but I think it's really important because we are seeing more and more people go into ER work or or urgent care um, facilities are opening up as well. Um, And we're going to talk about kind of the dermatology that you do see in ER. So I'm really excited to have you on today. Well, especially in Texas, it is (laughs) very very common. So (laughs) I'm sure you guys are super busy. Um, Let's start super basic. So what are the more common dermatologic diseases that you deal with in an emergency facility? So it does range, but a lot of times it is the really bad ear infections that the dog is just crying and whimpering and will not leave the ear alone. And it's the weekend and the owners just can't handle it anymore. But we also get hot spots uh, that are really bad, allergic reactions. Uh, We'll often see um, dogs having kind of chronic issues that all of a sudden just really flare up and owners are just thinking they're miserable. And, you know, a lot of people say those shouldn't come into the emergency room, but I think if your pet is staying awake at night and they're really uncomfortable and, you know, you're worried as a pet owner, then it's completely fine to bring them in because you don't want them hurting. And 
skin issues are painful and uncomfortable for the pet. So we need to help them. Yeah. I know it can be really difficult. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, kind of that balance that you guys have to find, you know, as a dermatologist, obviously I'm very shielded because I just see skin and ears. Um, But we do know there's lots of quality life studies that do look at how much it affects owners um, and pets when they are, especially those acute otitis cases, you know, or acute on chronic where they've had a history of ear disease, but all of a sudden they have a really bad flare for whatever reason that that really can be super uncomfortable um, and super painful and affect that pet's behavior and, you know, how those owners are sleeping. And, you know, I think it's gone a bit better, but as we know, practices have been really booked out. And so it's been really hard for people to get in when there's these acute flares, which unfortunately has fallen a lot to the ER doctors, which I'm hoping gets a little bit better. But I guess one question I actually have kind of off the cuff is, what are your feelings of, because I know we've had a couple urgent care clinics, kind of that hybrid, like in the middle type clinics open up in the Portland area. Have you guys had experience with that in Texas or what are your thoughts on that as kind of that middle ground? We have, and we actually have a couple right around our 24 seven emergency room. And so we have good relationships with them. They oftentimes will, you know, get close to closing and they will transfer critical cases to us for overnight care. Uh, they will send us stuff. If they're overwhelmed, they'll send us stuff that they know we can do. And then sometimes if an owner calls and, you know, we are just slammed and they want to know how long it'll be. And it is something that is less critical, we'll say, you know, you can also try these facilities. They might actually have a little bit more of an opening. So I love the fact that we kind of have that middle option for owners for the less critical, less emergent cases that still need to be seen, you know, late at night or need to be seen uh, early in the morning or over the weekends. I think that having more options for owners overall is helpful because it's not slowing down (laughs) anytime soon. Oh, definitely. Well, Of all the cases you saw, so I kind of figured like hotspots, ear disease would be some of the top ones. Um, If you just kind of had to lump in the most common derm medications that you reach for, uh, I'm going to guess steroids is pretty high on the list, but what are some of the more common medications you feel like you're, because I, you know, when I've consulted with my friends who are criticalists or ER doctors and what to use, say for an ear disease, I totally get it. It's not going to make sense for you guys to have as many ear medications as we would have, right? Because That's not the primary thing that you're dealing with. So kind of how do you handle being realistic with your, what you have on the shelf monetarily? We can't have everything. It doesn't make sense from an inventory standpoint versus having the availability of still being able to treat these animals. I think that's a good question because inventory management is really important in any practice. So definitely steroids, because a lot of these patients are so acutely flaring and uncomfortable, and it seems like the steroids are, are quick to help with the pain and the inflammation that we see at the level that they come in on the ER. Uh, I do also have Apoquil on the shelves. And Great. so if I need to do something and I don't feel like the pet is super painful, I can also do that just really short course, you know, and then get them to the regular vet for more of a workup. And then obviously you and I both love cytology and think it's important. And I also do it in the ER. So I have enough, you know, ear meds to cover my basic uh, ear infections and obviously antibiotics and antifungals for some of those uh, deeper skin infections. I try not to give as many weeks as I would give in general practice of these medications because my goal is really to get these guys started on something, but refer them back to their vet because we know these are cases that usually are going to need ongoing care. So those are kind of the basic medications and then topicals too. 
Uh, I think you and I both like giving people something to do. So having Intiderm, Panalog, Animax, those things for hotspots or, you know, things that are slightly uncomfortable are important. The kids just got home. My dog's like, yay. Oh, excellent. Real life here on the Derm Vet Podcast. We're real life here. Life is Um, happening while we're working. Yeah. Full disclosure, we're doing this over my son's nap time. So we might get a three-year-old who interrupts. We just don't know. There we go. Yeah, no problem. Um, and I love that you mentioned all that because I totally agree. And I know you and I have com- had conversations about like hotspots and, you know, sometimes seeing um, some facilities just wanting to put them in an e-collar and that's it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, ah. like, have you ever had, that's like you have chicken pox and someone's like, well, the thing you can do is put oven mitts on. It's like, yeah. it, it you're still uncomfortable even if you can't cause more damage by traumatizing that area. And so I do think there can be a place, like I totally think there's a place for steroids, but I think depending on the facility, there definitely can be a place for something like Apoquil because, you know, it, it, you are going to get a lot less of those side effects as far as the PUPD and the increased hunger. And, um, speaking as a mom of a child who's had to be on steroids a lot this last year, like it is crazy when they start having those side effects. So if you have a comfort and there's a whole little, you know, um, if you go to the Zoes website, they tell you the animal weighs this, you give them this, like mm-hmm. even to just say, here's seven days worth, you have a hotspot, we're going to treat the infection. Let's just, you know, calm down the itch, but then follow up with your primary vet, I think could be totally appropriate in a lot of these cases that we can minimize some of the side effects, but I get there's a different comfort level if you're not used to using that medication, but it is pretty easy and simple. And honestly, I agree. It depends on the level of inflammation. It depends on that particular patient. If I'm going to reach for something like a steroid, but a lot of them, you know, if I think it's because of a, a flea allergy flare, if I, if you just treat the infection and reduce the itch to some degree and treat, if there's an obvious problem, like a flea, they'll get better pretty quickly and you don't necessarily have to reach for those. Some cases you do, but I love that you mentioned that. And I agree with you about topical therapy. The nice thing is you can use a lot of even like ear medications topically too, right? So I'll use like a lot of Momentamax for hot spots because I think it's a really great ear medication for some of the more difficult cases that I see, but it also can be really nice topically. And then again, I, you learn as you're an owner in a practice or involved with that, how important inventory management is as far as your bottom line and, um, cost. And so if you can, you have certain things like topicals that can be used in various different ways. It can be extremely helpful, even in something like an ER facility. That's a, that's a good tidbit. Do you do the Momentamax twice a day or do you do it once a day? Depends on the severity of the lesion. Like I, I don't think there's a right or wrong, you know, as an ear medication is traditionally once a day, but topically for something like a hotspot, um, you know, there's never a good reason, right? It's like my gut feeling. Yeah, it yeah. kind of depends on like how bad it is. What will the pet allow? Like, can the owner do it? But I often will use it something like twice a day. And again, it's just from the standpoint of still great antibiotic steroid. I just tell them this is an ear medication. We're going to use it topically on the skin because the ears are tubes of skin going in the head. So it's still going to be helpful for us. And the Mometazone that's in Mometamax is a pretty potent steroid. So it actually can provide a lot of relief as long as the owners actually can do it. Hotspots can can be very uncomfortable. I've even had them, um, you know, just treat with something like a steroid or apical for a couple of days first, just to calm some of that initial inflammation, very similar to ears. If I have a really crazy stenotic ouchy ear case, um, sometimes I tell them do nothing but give an oral steroid for three to four days until they're a bit more comfortable. Because as soon as you start putting an ear medication in a really ouchy ear, that dog learns very quickly 
nope, you are not coming near my head, even when they feel better. So I'll just let them provide some easy relief, um, knowing that the infection, you know, we're delaying treatment a little bit, but it long-term is going to make it more successful. Yeah. Um, so you talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to know, cause I know it was really bad, especially say two years ago, juggling all these cases. I know ERs were crazy overloaded and I know there's still, you guys are super, super busy. Um, how do you juggle? And I know every night can be different or every day can be different. The non-emergent derm cases. So an ear infection, like yes, painful. And I love that you recognize quality of life issues, but you know, likely not going to die from that (laughs) versus the ones that truly come in and are life-threatening emergencies that are walking in the door. Obviously that's a conversation and a realistic expectation you have to send set for owners, but how do you navigate that? I think there's a couple of things that I have to my advantage working in open concept ER. Uh, Owners can see what's going on. So we triage everything. And even if I am dealing with an ear infection or they're waiting on me. If they see something more critical come in, I will have owners say, it's totally fine. Obviously that pet needs you. And they will understand that like a pet that is in distress or bleeding is going to be moved up on the priority list. So that's probably an advantage I have just working in the open concept. Also, I have a technical staff that's incredible. And so I'm really efficient and they know if there is something with an infection, I want an ear swab and I want a cytology set up before I even talk to that owner. So they'll often say, you know, I know Dr. Crocker's going to want us to get a sample so we can see what's causing this infection and they'll get that sample, get it set up. And so I'm not always explaining the value of that uh, to the owners. It's already been done. And then I can just look at the sample and then go examine the dog, look at the ear and say, okay, yeah, it looks like ear infection. This is what's causing it. This is my plan. And like my communication's done, and then they are going to continue the conversation with allergies. But it's always, you know, the questions that I get about the skin and the ears, I say, you know what, your vet just should recheck this in a week and you can follow up with them. And I'm trying to get them back to their general practicing vet. And I'm not trying to be the source for all of that. So I think it's really utilizing your support staff really well. And then uh, setting appropriate expectations uh, just on wait times and triage uh, and also communication. That's what helps me. Yeah. I mean, support staff is always huge, right? Like we should have known that we always should have known that, but if anything in the last couple of years have told us and now, I mean, it should have never even had to be something that was emphasized, but obviously it has become something that's incredibly emphasized and it is truly amazing, especially when you have people who've worked with you for a while, like you said, Mm -hmm. that can communicate like, this is what's going to happen. She's going to want this sample. Um, You know, we're going to be able to get you home faster. Here's an estimate for that. Um, it's very similar to like my staff. They kind of know, like they're freaked out if I don't do a cytology. Like what just happened? Yeah. Are you, de- can I leave? What's going on? <laughs> so it's good um, because it does make you more efficient. And we know that, you know, our CSRs, our assistants and technicians often are the ones really communicating with them. They're solidifying the plan. So them even understanding the basics of, you know, I totally get that you're not going to have a whole allergy spiel come up in an ER situation, but um, just so you can say, make sure you recheck with your primary vet. There's probably a reason this is happening, but let's get you comfortable now, you know, done. Like that's all yeah. that you really need to do to make that an efficient ER visit. Um, so what are the limitations of derm, derm cases in ER? Obviously follow-ups probably going to be one of the main ones. 
I think the the chronic cases that don't fit just like the general atopy bill or the people that are really suspicious for like food allergies or things like that, I'm like, you need to see derm. Or if it's got draining tracts or something where, you know, I don't know exactly what's causing it, um, you need to see derm. So I think masses that are unknown. Uh, I'm going to hopefully ha- send them to their general practicing vet, but sometimes they need to see derm, they need biopsies. Uh, so, and then you have all your immune mediated diseases. So if the, you know, if the history is, sorry, my dog is, he got a new snowman toy and he's so excited right now. Well, he should um, be a little is. snowman toy in Texas. He's so excited. Um, and it's not definitely not snowing here. I wish it was. <laughs> Um, but you know, those chronic like dogs that have been on every medication under the sun and they just look horrible and you're suspicious for immune mediated diseases. I'm not working that up in the ER at all. And so I'm hopefully getting them to someone like you who can really uh, do more about that. Uh, I think all that is, is not something I'm going to be dealing with. Yeah. But, but sometimes it's just guidance, right? Like that's what I feel a lot of times is it's like when someone comes to see me and it. We're, I'm managing their allergies. They're trying to ask me about like vomiting and stuff. It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay to tell you, unless it's really your food allergy. Like I'm okay to say no, but I can guide you in that right direction. And sometimes right. that's what we really need to do. You know, if they trust us for whatever reason that we can at least kind of get them in the right hands, even if we're not the ones that will necessarily manage that. You talked about diagnostics, um, cytology in the ER, which is very exciting that you already mentioned that you're doing that. What are, so you mentioned that your staff is already on top of it and getting it. And I think that's key. How do you do any other diagnostics as far as skin goes in the ER or how did you start kind of getting your, your staff to understand the importance of cytology? So they would just get it for you. Cause that's obviously going to be a huge time saver in your world. I think my advantage is I was in GP for nine years and I did skin. I mean, that was the majority of what I did here in Texas. So I know the value of knowing what you're treating for and treating it appropriately. And cytology helps you do that. So I do still do skin uh, preps uh, for like, or skin tape preps, sorry, uh, for skin lesions. Uh, I'll just use like packing tape and then just dip it and put it on a slide. Uh, I do ears. Uh, We'll do skin scrapes, obviously just a thorough exam looking for fleas or looking for flea dirt. Uh, those are probably the main things that I do. I've been doing a little bit of the slides. Like I see you do it or use the slide and then you like press the slide Direct on Direct impression. Yeah. I've been doing a little bit of that. And then F and A's and things like that. I'm pretty comfortable with. Uh, so as much as I can do in the amount of time to make sure that the medications I'm putting in them on are appropriate, especially anything chronic, because I'm worried about you know, have they become resistant to the Momentumax that they've had for two years that they use two days every couple of weeks? <laughs> or, you yeah. know, do we need to change it up? Um, and I know you and I have talked before about cultures and things like that. We obviously don't do anything like that really in the ER. That's going to be a general practicing thing. But are there any other tests or skin tests that I'm not thinking of that you would recommend we think about? I mean, I think those are the main ones to be honest. Like I even thought you gave a better list than I expected because it is, it depends, right? Like a culture can wait till the next day, you know, like you can get them set up to that, but it's going to be really hard for you guys to be following up with those results when they come in. So it kind of goes back to expectation. I really think like cytology, examining the ears, looking for things that cause acute flares like ectoparasites, 
Um, you know, if you're comfortable and you can't find them, just throw them on an ISOC Sazeline. You know, a lot of times that's what I do if I'm like, well, you could have scabies, but I can't find it. Yeah. So I think those are the main things that are going to be, you know, those acute things that cause a lot of issues, but the follow-up is going to be obviously really key. So cytology, examining, you know, looking for simple things like you got a focal furuncle and pododermatitis is there a foreign body in there? Like those are all the things you're even going to be better at than me. But I really do feel like those are a pretty complete list because we're not expecting, you know, in an emergency situation for you to do dermat- a full dermatologic workup because you really just need to get them through that acute issue. But the follow-up's yeah. huge. And that's my last question for you. And you touched on it a bit. How do you manage the expectation of follow-up since, you know, do you have people who try to come back to you guys for a follow-up because they've heard yeah. of that? Or do you really try to push them to the primary vet as they should be? No, we definitely have people that come back. And one I can think in particular is an adorable set of Frenchies. And the owner moved here from New York and he just loves us. He loves that he can stay with his pet. And so when his Frenchie is having a flare up uh, or she has a little booty anal gland issue, he brings her in. And I say every single time, I'm like, you do not need to come to the ER and wait. Like there's plenty of vets locally. And he's like, I just love it here. It's great. And it's much shorter wait time than it was in New York. And I'm totally fine with it. So some people do come back. They're a little bit of a frequent flyer because they have a hard time getting into their vet in the time frame that they feel they need to do to get their pet comfortable. Uh, and I just continue to try to make sure that people understand that. And you've been great about teaching me this allergies are to be controlled, not cured usually. And a lot of what we see is the secondary issues. So really they need to have a relationship with their vet to address the primary problem. And so I can do things to make them more comfortable. I want their pet to, you know, rest better and them sleep better and not be in pain, but I'm not fixing it. I'm just putting a bandaid on the problem. And so that's kind of the way I describe it. So people aren't frustrated when it happens again, once the medications run out, right. And they are more inclined to have a relationship with their vet to make sure they can get their pet more comfortable long-term. Yeah. And that's all you need to do. And totally like even my clients, when they leave, I'm always like, okay, but let me know, like, if this doesn't (laughs) work out until the recheck time, I give you, I have that conversation every time. And I think it's totally appropriate. And I even say for general practitioners, like there's an ear infection and you got 15 minutes and you can't necessarily jump into a whole spiel like we would. You can at least say there's a reason it's there. We can treat it right now. Maybe we need, if it comes back again, though, we need to reevaluate. We might need to do a diet trial. You don't always have to jump into a huge workup because that's not always going to be realistic. That's not even realistic for some of the initial clients I see, because sometimes they're overwhelmed financially, emotionally, you know, their thresholds met. And we just have to say, okay, we're going to get you out of crisis mode. But then just remember, we are going to have to really figure out what's going on here. I think you said uh, at one point, I heard you say your new client appointments were like an hour long or something. An hour for me. Yeah. That like blew my mind. And guess what? I almost always still run behind. (laughs) That is so crazy. But it makes sense because derm is is very complicated and there's so much that goes into it. Like I bow down to you guys and how much you know. And I am so glad to have you as a resource. Um, and my goal is just to get those pets feeling better so they can get to the people that can hopefully fix them or make them more comfortable long term. Yeah. And not, and everyone's different, but we do that because of the in-depth of the conversation we need to have. And there's some wiggle room if we 
need to biopsy, right? Or we're going to skin test. But even if I don't, like it's just cytology and setting the stage for what's to come. I mean, it often, I mean, for me, and I'm obviously a talker, um, but it takes a while and I want to make sure everyone's questions are answered and it's very overwhelming our first exam. And I tell owners that, but I'm like, we're just setting the foundation. So when we revisit, you'll at least pick up those key words and kind of know the direction we're going to go. Um, well, Dr. Crocker, thank you so much as always. Um, I'm also really excited because next week you're gonna be back on the podcast, but we're getting more personal. We're going to be talking about being a parent in the veterinary field and some of the struggles we have with that. But as always, I just love having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me on. And I cannot wait to see you uh, soon in Charlotte. Yes, Vet Charlotte. We will be there. Well, I hope you found that conversation very helpful. There's so many different ways that we can help pets, and I get that it can be really difficult, especially if you are an ER doctor and you know working long hours in the clinic and having emergency surgeries and hit by cars come in. I think there's way that ways that you can practice good dermatology, but also understand your limitations. You're not meant to give a whole allergy spiel uh, to an ear infection walking into your door at 2 a.m. You're meant to see if you can provide comfort and get them in the right hands, and that's okay. Okay, we all have different roles in what we need to do to help these pets. Certainly, I am not one who should be managing emergency situations or opening up an abdomen in surgery. So we all have to know, you know, the best ways we can serve these pets. So I hope you enjoy that conversation from Dr. Tanisha Crocker.